Welcome to another episode of the Command Team Corner, where today we're honored to sit down with Command Sergeant Major Ted Munter to talk about talent management. Command Sergeant Major Munter, welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to sit down with you today. In episode two of our Indigenous Approach podcast, you spoke at length about your thoughts on talent management and where you want to see the command going in that arena to bring our processes from the industrial age to the information age and to truly put our people first. Can you give us an update on some of the talent management initiatives you and the command are pursuing? There are numerous initiatives that we're pursuing. The first I'd like to talk about is for SF, the Professional Development Model Update. I've got several OPTs that are running from the G9 downstairs to OSW working it to HPW at USASOC, Proponents who's working it, and all the groups are running OPTs to help design the new PD model. And I was very vague in the guidance that I gave for the OPTs, other than they would consist of a CSM and a member all the way down to the ODA level. It was up to the individual group CSMs how large those OPTs were. The only additional guidance I gave them was the PD model should emphasize more of serving on an ODA and less on broadening, and that it should include a specialized pathway. That's the only guidance I gave them because I wanted them to plan as unconstrained as possible and come back to me with their ideas. They owe me their outputs on 1 February. Speaking of specialized pathways, there are several that we are looking at. Not to say they are permanent, they could change, but we're looking at building in a special activities pathway, potentially an IRC-related pathway, i.e. cyber, SEMA, EW, with the specialized pathways, what I really want to do is enable the employment of highly specialized talent for an extended period of time off an ODA, ODE, or ODG without sacrificing career progression for those individuals. Currently, we have entities within the groups within higher headquarters where we have individuals that are self-taught or serving in critical positions. For example, the Winter Warfare Locker at 10th Special Forces Group, the Digital Special Operations Detachment in 5th Special Forces Group. Third group has two 18 series in their TISCO that are writing code for our interagency and intergovernmental organizations. Highly talented people, but there is no capacity for career progression for them because it's off of an ODA and that's what our PD model looks like. And so that's what I wanna change with the specialized pathways. The other thing we're working with specialized pathways is the Joint Cyber Operations Group and the Cyber Center of Excellence to provide formalized training pathways for individuals that we identify that have a propensity for cyber or EW operations. Formalized outside of what, what is usually self-taught so that we have the ability to better develop specialized talent and put them at the right place at the right echelon at the right time. We're also working with SWIC and Proponent for advanced educational opportunities for NCOs. This is for CA, SIOP, and SF. Uh, we are coding AERS billets here at First SFC, which is the first step in getting the Army to authorize us to send NCOs to advanced civil schooling on their dime up to a master's degree. We're also working with SWIC and Proponency to update the DA PAM and AR 611-21 
to reflect the changes that we're putting in to the PD model. So the Army started to incorporate some assessment programs. Our listeners may be familiar with Battalion Commander's Assessment Program, or BCAP. I'm wondering, are we looking at incorporating some assessment programs in our NCO development model or how we choose folks for positions like team sergeant or or otherwise? Starting 25 January, we're also going to run our third iteration of the team sergeant assessment and prep program down at 7th Special Forces Group. And what this program is designed to do is take potential future team sergeants and run them through a BCAP like event that does not have an output that you are found ready or not ready to be a team sergeant. The idea is that we we identify individuals 12 to 18 months prior to potential promotion to E8, run them through program, emphasizing more on the prep and identify blind spots in areas where we can better improve and enhance their development to serve as a team sergeant. What I want to do is ensure that day one, you go into the team sergeant, you are the best that you can be at at that point, and you are not hindered by a a lack of operational experience, a lack of mentorship, or a product of of bad leadership. It's also these pilots that were running, at least one in every group, is going to help inform me and SWIC and the NCOA of, of where the gaps exist within our PME. Right now, we know anecdotally, training and resource management is a gap for our future team sergeants. We are evaluating them on that to build the data so that we can go back and look at putting things in SLC to train them and then in MLC to refine that training prior to becoming a team sergeant. We're also going to bolt on about five days on the back of MLC. The Army is going to see that your five weeks, your PME complete, and you'll be obviously PME complete. The five days will be for all three tribes, and and that'll be a developmental program to further refine potential team sergeants. So, Major, do we have any idea of what those five days, like what kind of refinement or what type of education would, would that consist of? Not at this time. The data from the pilot courses is going to help drive where that knowledge gap or that educational gap lies. And that's going to help drive what is put into those courses. So we identify that we we have a, some gaps. We need to refine that. And then we can address them during that time on the backside. Right. Those are some of the, the major initiatives that we're working on right now. Sorry, Major, that's quite a few initiatives. And I appreciate you kind of giving us a rundown of what you're looking at. What do you see as some of the barriers to these changes that you described? And what does the, the command or the RSOF community at large need to do differently or think differently about to overcome the barriers? Well, not necessarily a barrier or an obstacle. I do briefly want to discuss expectation management with regard to the specialized pathways that we're looking at. The ODA, ODE, and ODG will remain the priority for Phil. We're not talking about a mass exodus of individuals into these specialized pathways. Individuals entering those pathways may only do so after they serve a minimum of 48 months in one of those tactical elements and are managed by a battalion or group CSM going into those pathways. 
As far as obstacles, of course, like everything else over the last 10 or so months, COVID has slowed things down considerably with the, the minimum manning requirements within the operational groups, within the higher headquarters, you know, USOC, First SFC, and SWIC has slowed down the OPTs in driving some of the outputs earlier, forcing the, the outputs to be a little later than what I really wanted. And the next obstacle, it's an enduring obstacle, is time. What I've asked all of these individuals that are working on these initiatives, either in their entirety or in part, is extra time. They have day jobs. And so they are doing this as they find time throughout their day. As we look at the specialized pathways or potential specialized pathways, I anticipate an obstacle is going to be what we currently are authorized with MTO or TDA positions. Some of the new authorizations within the specialized pathway do not exist currently. So likely there's going to be a trade-off somewhere. And what that trade-off is right now, I, I don't know. Uh, that depends largely on what those specialized pathways look like and then how large, how many people uh, we see going into those specialized pathways. Some of it is incumbent on me to take a hard look at the USASOC levy and to cull where I can, not filling those positions, and if able, recoup and recode those positions into locations that we need them. I think there's also going to be a challenge with defining the required non-traditional educational requirements that may exist within those specialized pathways. As I said earlier, with some of the initiatives that we're working with the Joint Cyber Operations Group and then the Cyber Center of Excellence, that's two specific training pipelines that doesn't address many of the others that are likely to be a requirement for us. And we won't know what that is again, until we better define what those specialized training pathways are. Are there any mindset changes we need to be looking at? Or is there any misconceptions or, or things of that nature that may need to be addressed in how we explain the specialized career pathways or, or how we kind of lay this out? Is there anything of that nature that we might need to consider? I would expect to get some pushback from the group and below NCOs down to the battalion level. Anytime that you're looking to pull more guys uh, away from the ODA, there's some aversion to it, and, and rightly so. Again, the ODA is the primary focus, but we also have to be mindful that the environment is changing and we have to change it as well. And if we're truly going to start executing what I discussed in the second podcast, which is talent management, looking at an individual, looking at the specific talent that he possesses and mentoring it and developing and further expanding that talent and then putting him in the right place to exploit that talent, we've got to do a better job in identifying those guys early on fencing them off and then allowing them to go into the educational programs and then the specialized pathways. Again, when you enter the specialized pathway, it's not a forever piece. It's not a place for guys to go and hide out and never come down on the use of sock levy. There may be a point in time after three, four, five, six years, that individual comes out of that specialized pathway and goes back to serve on an ODA, ODE, ODG or he's placed on the, the use of sock levy. We have more requirements than we do personnel. And so the idea that we can put somebody in a special activities pathway and they remain there for the rest of their career is not valid at this point. Just wanna discuss the why. So you mentioned 
the environment has changed, so we have to change. What are the other kind of why reasons behind some of these initiatives? Are, do we fear that if we don't manage our talent better, are we going to start losing folks more rapidly to to other organizations or civilian, you know, the civilian market? Uh, what what is what's the why driving this, our major? Some of the why is we are asking leadership is asking at the group level for individuals to to use the talents in positions where there's no career progression. By asking them to do the things that we need them to do for that organization, we inhibit any potential promotion to master sergeant. And that's unfair. We need to do a better job of defining ODA team sergeant-like positions within these specialized pathways that enable an individual to progress at least to the E8 level. The other issue is, yes, we are starting to see individuals leave the organization, leave the Army, because there are better opportunities out there. And in some cases, they can't do what it is they really want to do within these high-end specialty skills. If we can develop a pathway that meets their needs, then that is going to equal readiness. That lessens the burden for SWIC to have to produce an additional body for everybody that ETS is out of the Army. Even if he's staying in the operational group, he is still doing what the operational group is asking him to do. Or if he comes to the IWC or if he comes to the headquarters, he's doing the things that we need him to do. And that's one less person that the generating force has to produce to make up for his potential loss. That's a great point about what's driving this and keeping it in perspective of the why I think is important. So Major, let me go a different way as we close out today's episode. When you wake up in the morning and you're getting ready to head into the office, what are you fired up about regarding our organization? What keeps you energized about First Special Forces Command? I would think there's three things. One, I grew up under some great leadership. And under that leadership, I understood the value of being an NCO. As a result, I am an NCO at heart and I love serving the organization. Two, to come in every day and have the opportunity to witness the outstanding things that the men and women of First Special Forces Command are doing around the world is mind-blowing. It is absolutely impressive. And then three, I love the energy. I love the vision. I love where General Brennan is pushing this command. I think it's long overdue, and I think it's welcome across the, the RSOF community writ large. Well, that's a great wrap-up to this episode. Command Sergeant Major Munter, thanks again for sitting down with us today. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time. This has been another episode of the Command Team Corner. If you have topics you would like to see addressed by our command team, submit them on the Commander's blog, located on the First Special Forces Command portal page, or send us a DM on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thanks again for listening.